probably did most every service you could do. I started out in the doctor cleaning the toilet, cleaning the bathroom, and then um, graduated to other cleaning duties, and then Hainam, Sankirtan, book distribution, congregational preaching, two more times temple president, or three more times. And uh, then got education in Vrindavan. I love to teach. And then, oh yeah, and then, no, before that, uh, I joined a party called Krishna Fest. We used to um, do kirtan and have festivals. And, and then Vrindavan, and then, I got married, and the rest was downhill. No, <laughs> and then uh, no, I got married before that. And then eventually, I, st I started really focusing on doing workshops because you could spend a long time on one topic. And I saw that if you spend a long time studying something, you really understand it, and you really learn how to relate to it and apply to it. So I started doing workshops for like 15 hours and retreats, you know, for days. It's fantastic. And taking the philosophy and learning how to apply it practically because it's just an idea, it's theory until you learn how to put it into practice. And a lot of times you don't know how to do that. It's not obvious. So that's what I focused on. And that's basically what I do and, I, and I've written some books and developed online courses also, and started some various projects. And um, have a recording studio, did that. We just did a new version of Brahma Samhita. Some of you have may heard the old version. If you've heard the Brahma Samhita, uh, there's one version. If it's by Mahatma Das, that's me, and we just did a new version. Have you heard that? Brahma Samhita. Chintamani Paparasanasukavadiksha Tuyuna Lakshaviteshu Suraviradiparyantam Lakshmi Sahasra Shukasam Ramasevimanam Govindamari Purusham Namaham Vajami Govindamari Purusham that's me, if you've heard it. I give autographs later. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so in maybe the last 10 years I've been extensively traveling, focusing mostly on teaching japa, teaching relationships, cooperation, forgiveness. I was bold enough to do a course on humility because I'm so humble. Uh, that's my joke. That was the best course you could ever take, my class in humility. Um, and other, other courses that um, delve more deeply into things that a lot of us think about that we don't really talk about enough. So that's my bio. Is that okay? I don't like listening to people talk about me. It's embarrassing. Unless they're speaking in a language I don't understand. <laughs> I came from Poland, Slovenia, and, and Croatia, so they could talk all they want. No problem, I didn't understand anything. So, the topic tonight is service in the mood of Sri Radha. Is that the idea? Or can you clarify what is it? Is it a different topic? Oh, in the wrong place? What? Right around Queens, yeah, it's another way of saying the same thing. Okay, so, um, there's a few things I'm going to talk about that probably you weren't expecting me to talk about that I think are important. I, I think I will have time to talk about them. But we can begin with. Radharani is the emblem of pure service. So it's like if you're trying to perfect something, you know, like say you want to be a poet. So what do you do? You read the best poetry you can find, right? Because you want to try to at least 
get good at copying the best before you create your own. Right? That's generally what people say is master it by learning it from the best and then you can get creative. If you get creative in the beginning, it may never be good. But once you know how to do it, you can be creative. So you learn from the best. Or in, in music, somebody comes on the scene with a new style of music, then everybody follows it, or a new style of playing, right? Yeah. So, when people are really good at something, either they're gifted with that talent, or they have really good teachers. Generally, it's the really good teachers, which is why they're really good. So, Radharani is like the best teacher of understanding pure bhakti. And so I wanted to start was something that Radharani said that, that probably you know, but Radharani's mood is, I cannot be happy unless Krishna is happy. That's, that's how pure devotional service works. So, in the Chaitanya Charitamrita and Prabhupada's book, he says that a pure devotee does not know how to experience happiness independently of something giving happiness to Krishna. And a conditioned soul, the Prabhupada didn't say this, but the opposite is true. Like, we know how to experience happiness without giving happiness to Krishna, right? You ever done something, of course you have, that made you happy, that had nothing to do with Krishna? Or, or worse, Krishna didn't like it, but you liked it and you did it. And while you're doing it, you're thinking, I shouldn't do this, Krishna doesn't like it. But I want to do it because I like it, or I want to eat it, or I want to see it, or I want to read it. Smell it, touch it, taste it. Have you ever done that? That's what it means to be a conditioned soul. You find happiness in things that don't necessarily have anything to do with Krishna's happiness. But Radharani, the emblem of pure service, is impossible. She cannot experience happiness independently if it doesn't give Krishna happiness. Okay, so then you take it to the next level. There's a higher level than this. So Radharani said... Krishna has many gopis, and if that gopi could give Krishna more happiness, then I'll take her and I'll give her to Krishna to enjoy. Now, could you imagine when you get married, or some of you are married, you get married, and your husband says, that one over there. That one will make me happy. And you go to that girl and say, here, here's my husband, go. Enjoy with him, that will make me happy. It's like, it's not going to happen, right? Inconceivable. So Radharani's position is, if it makes Krishna happy, I'm happy. Even if it's another woman, if he wants her, and she will make him happier, then I can make him, I will bring her to him. But of course, there is no one that can make her happy. As she can. As happy as she can. But if there's ever a case like that, she will bring that person. Now, there's another level. And I'm not saying that this is like something we, we're going to do tonight and adopt for the rest of our life, but you, you want to start with like defining this is the highest level of love. Right? So there's one more. This is really interesting. Maybe you've heard this before. So... Radharani says, if by suffering that will make Krishna happy. And that, that sounds funny, like, like, why would my suffering make Krishna happy? So it's not like that, but she's saying, if I had to do something which personally I don't want to do, which personally would make me unhappy or cause me to suffer, if it makes Krishna happy, then that suffering is my highest happiness. Have you heard that before? That's, that, Prabhupada has said something which is so confusing and some even upsetting for some devotees. He said there's no love in the material world. He's like, what do you mean there's no love? I love my mother and my father. They love me. I love my sister and my brother. I love my husband. I love my wife. So really difficult when Prabhupada said that. Like, what does he mean? What he means is there's no love like this. Like the kind of love Radha has or that Prajbhasis have for Krishna. You don't find that in this world. Right? So if I can suffer 
if I if I if I can give pleasure to Krishna, even if it causes me suffering, if that suffering makes him happy, if what I do, even though it causes him, the suffering, he's not happy to see us suffer. But if I do something that causes me suffering, but it makes him happy, then that suffering becomes my happiness. That's the mood of Radharani. So now we are not there. So what do we do? How do we understand that? How do you even relate to that? Like, what are you supposed to do with that? Well, that's an aspiration. It's, it's like, okay, that's what Krishna consciousness means, that's what love of God means, that's what Radharani is, that's how she does it, right? So now what are you thinking? Are you discouraged, confused, ready, ready to give up, or inspired of all of those at the same time? Or you don't know what you are right now? You're still trying to figure it out? Um, anyway, these descriptions are in scripture to glorify Radharani, not to depress us. That, oh, I could never be like that. That's like too much. It's to glorify Radharani. It's to glorify love of God. It's to isolate it and be very clear about this is, this is what love is. Now, sometimes you will read or you've heard about Radharani is suffering in separation from Krishna. The gopis are suffering in separation from Krishna. And Krishna won't go back to relieve their suffering. You think, like, what's this all about? As, as you read it, and Krishna has even said this, when he was asked, why don't you go back to Vrindavan, one time he said, because their love for me is greater when I'm gone. Because they're feeling the pain of separation. Like, and we say, separation is the highest, the, 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 the love is more intense than separation. If love is more intense than separation, that means the more intense love gives the greater pleasure, and then it's called pain. The pain of separation, this is really funny. The pain of separation is the highest ecstasy. Sounds like a Buddhist mantra. <laughs> the pain of separation is the highest ecstasy. <laughs> and everyone's head's going, yeah. So we see the so-called pain. Radharani's talking about her suffering. But we know there is no suffering. There's only ecstasy. It just appears to be like suffering. It appears like separation, but they're together. But anyway, that devotion, that love, it increases in separation when Krishna's out of Vrindavan. And Radharani and the residents of Raja are just crying in separation out of love for Krishna. They can't bear to be separated. As you know, it's an interesting thing that what Chaitanya said. Well, let me go back, back, back a little bit. When Uddhava, you know, Uddhava went to Vrindavan with a message to try to pacify the residents of Vrindavan. And when he was there, he saw everybody was crying. And there was a, there was a river that went to Maharaj Nanda's palace. That river was their tears. It was like, it was like this horrific scene of devotees crying. And Uddhava is seeing this scene in everybody's eyes. Like, looks like they're dying. You see the scene. Radharani's dying in separation. And Uddhava had no idea what love of Krishna was because he was not in Vrindavan. And Krishna sent him to see the residents of Vrindavan, their love and their tears and their pain to understand this love. And so he's seeing the residents of Radhavan about ready to give up their body. And so Lord Chaitanya said, he said, I have no love of Krishna. And what's the proof? That I'm still alive. Because if I love Krishna, I would have died in separation. I would be dead in separation. Like the Rajabhasis are dying. So that's the idea of love. 
you love something so much that when you're separated, it drives you crazy and you can't. So that's what we learn about love, and that's basically Radharani. And now, what's today's date? September 9th, exactly. 20, and here we are in merry old England, September 9th, 2022. And we are light years away from what I just described, right? And thinking, Okay, so can you talk about something I can actually understand? Are you thinking like that? Why are you talking about something so high? Well, we start there, we establish, okay, that that is a very elevated position of love of God, but now we have to talk about how we can relate to all of this and how we can benefit from understanding Radharani and what is our relationship with Radharani? Well, she is the queen of service. All service is under her shakti, her energy. It's, and so and sometimes when we want service, we want more purity, we pray to Radharani, please, please, give me service. Please help me. Hare Krishna, Radha Krishna. Help me, engage me. Let me come under the shelter of your internal potency. So, one time when Prabhupada was explaining what the Maha Mantra means, we all know Prabhupada said it means please engage me in your service. But one time when he was explaining that, he was saying, he was saying please engage me in your service, I don't want to be engaged in my service. So it was also a prayer not to be engaged, not to be pulled by Maya, as much as it's a prayer to be engaged in service. And engaged in service is what? Hare, Radha. Radha is the internal energy. So say, please put me under the shelter of Radha, not under the shelter of Radha as Maya, external. Right? So one, one hand the Maha Mantra means, I want to be under the shelter of Radha, who personifies the spiritual energy. And the other hand, I don't want to be engaged in Maha. In Maha Maya, Radha's external potency who pulls me away from Krishna. I want to be pulled to Krishna, that's Radha. And in Maya, in the form of Maya, she pulls me away. So that's one of the meanings of the Maha Mantra has many meanings, but one of the meanings is I want the shelter of Radha because she personifies the spiritual energy. And if I'm under her shelter, I'm in the spiritual energy, I'm not in the material energy. So she gives service, she gives shelter. And then, you know, I have, it's, it's kind of funny, you know, like some of us, we have too much service, so here's my joke. Okay, someone says, Prabhu, did you chant your answer today? No, I haven't chanted in a week. Why not? So I've got too much service. If I pray for more service, you know, it's like I'll have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> Do you ever think like that? Like, I'm chanting for service. I have too much. Like, I don't need anymore. I can't handle it. We are not chanting necessarily for more service. We're chanting to stay always engaged in pure service. We want it to be purely motivated. We want to serve. We want to serve to please Krishna. That's like the ultimate. We want to serve to make Krishna happy. So that's part of coming under the shelter of Radha to pray to her that not that I just serve, but I should be pure. And so what does it mean to be pure? The, the mood of Radha is... Whatever I do in service, it's for Krishna. So I have this little joke. Sometimes we're, we're doing some service and we say, Jai Prabhupada. Jai Prabhupada means all glory is to Prabhupada. Like, let all glory be to Prabhupada. Let all glory be. Jai Sri Krishna. Jai Radha. Let all glories go to them. But sometimes, we're saying Jai Prabhupada, and inside we're saying Jai me. All glories to Prabhupada, and all glories to me. And no, no. All glories to Prabhupada, not all. Most glories to Prabhupada, some to me. Most glories to Krishna, some. Jai Sri Krishna, Jai Mahatma Prabhu. And I'm saying that inside. That's ill, that's devotional service, which has another motive. I want to do service, but I want to get something. I want to get some acknowledgement. Have you ever done that? Like you've done something, and it, you did, you made just like beautiful flower decorations. You're like, okay, when's everybody gonna tell me how beautiful they are? 
or you lead this amazing kirtan. Okay, so, you know, when did the, like, letters start coming? I was amazing kirtan. You know? Jai Prabhupada, Jai me. Right? Or whatever it is you made, you cooked. And so-and-so cooked tonight. And I'm just going to stand at the door, because when everybody goes out, they're going to say, that feast was amazing. I feel really good. And tonight I cooked, and it was an amazing feast, and nobody said anything, I'm never going to cook again. <laughs> Have you ever seen that happen? It happens. It can happen. It can happen. It has happened. So that's called devotional service with the wrong motivation. So pure service, what we want to develop is service that we do. It's just for Krishna. It's not like, like hey, I'm going to lead a kirtan, and I'm going to like really... You know, after this kirtan is be so is be so good, I could marry any girl in this room. They're all going to be like, that was such a great kirtan. They're like, ah, it worked. <laughs> yeah, I'm exaggerating, but there's some truth to this, isn't it? Yeah, this is we're in the material world, so this is the reality, right? So. When we're chanting, O oh Radha, O oh Krishna, please engage me in your service, we want to do service which is just to make them happy. And we're so used to making ourselves happy. You know, that's like what we do. And so we can bring that into devotional service and we can do devotional service to make us happy. That's not the mood of Radha, it's to make Krishna happy. That's it. So that's something we can think about now on our level. And so motive and desire are two different things. And you, you might say, well, how can I just do this to please Krishna because I'm not a pure devotee? Well, you can actually do it because it's not being a pure devotee, but it's just you want to do, you want to make Krishna happy. You want to do this for Krishna. That's, that's your motive. You may have so many other desires, but when you come to do your service, this is just for Krishna. I'm going to, I'm going to cook this offering this is to make Krishna happy. That's it. I'm going to make this flower arrangement just to make Krishna happy. I'm going to do this kirtan just to make Krishna happy. Whatever it is, I'm just going to do it to make Krishna happy. That's the goal. That's Madhurani's move. It'll make Krishna happy. And you know what happens when you try to make Krishna happy? I have experience. I was in a temple and um, they had, we didn't have that many devotees. And we had a very high standard of deities worship. So sometimes I would cook for the deities somehow or other, I don't know. It came out okay. I'd get a little help. Well, I'll tell you how to cook. If you don't know how to cook, just cooking. <coughs> just fry everything in ghee. When it comes out of the ghee, make a little chance and throw in some sour cream and a little bit of sugar. Right amount of salt and pepper. You've got a winner. That's pretty much it, you know. The standard ISKCON American you can make amazing subjis and doesn't know how to cook with a few key ingredients, ghee and sour cream. Can't go wrong. Right? True? Yeah. Yeah. So, I would go in the kitchen and I would cook this offering and I would be hungry. And after I finished cooking the offering, I was not hungry. Did anyone ever have that experience? It was like, you know, Krishna was satisfied. Krishna was satisfied, everybody's satisfied. So, so this experience, it's so important for us in Krishna consciousness to have experiences where we do something to make Krishna happy and we become happier than we could ever be by doing it ourselves. That is so important for you to have because that is what Krishna consciousness is. And if you don't have that experience, it's just an idea in your head. And it's hard to do because I want to be happy and I'm not sure if I make Krishna happy, I'll actually be happy until I actually do it and have that experience. And say, yes. I, I did something I didn't even want to do. I don't even like doing it, but I did it. And I thought, okay, I'll just do this to please Krishna because I know that's the right thing to do, and I do it, and I'm happy. That's Krishna consciousness. Not I'm happy, I'm ecstatic. That's Krishna consciousness. Amazing. You all, and so if ever you are asked to do something that's difficult, you should say, yes, I want to do it. Because I want to do something that's difficult 
and I want to focus on Krishna's pleasure, and I want to see what happens. I want to see if the ecstasy will come. And I can guarantee you it will if you don't think about whether I'll be happy or not. Because when we think about what makes us happy, that's kind of when our happiness goes down. When we think what makes Krishna happy, it goes up. I had to do many things which were really difficult. I didn't want to do I wasn't even good at doing. And it was very, sometimes very stressful. And in the end, it was amazingly blissful. I have a story for you. This, you probably don't know this story because this happened in, in your last life. So you, unless you remember your last life. So this was in 1970, sometime in the 70s. We would distribute books at airports. And I don't know how, I think airports are a little different now, but in those days, you'd have times when the airport is like completely dead, there's nobody there, and then flights would go and come, and then they would not go and come for a certain period of time. I think nowadays, they're like going and coming all the time. I think more people fly now. But in those days, it was like, there weren't that many people there. So when it was slow, you had all these, it, it, airports are different now. Like like now, when there's not a flight, there's nobody behind the desk. In those days, they kind of, I guess, I don't know. There's just always somebody there, people around. So they were watching us, they would watch us to distribute books. And they just thought we were just out there to get money from people. They didn't understand what we were doing. And some of them became aggressive and angry, and they would tell people, don't buy the books, or we'd be distributing books, and they'd walk by us, and they'd knock into us. And, and they'd, then you'd sell a book to someone, and they'd go up to the person and say, this is a cult, don't buy the book, give it to me. And then they'd take the book, and they'd tear it up, and they'd give you the torn up book, or they'd, they'd take off the covers, and pin the covers on the walls and write something nasty on it, and this is what we we're going through. Like, could you imagine? Could you imagine you had a job like that, and people are coming and disrupting you? That was really, really hard. You could imagine, you know? Like, this one guy that would bump into us was like 12 feet tall, you know, just like, and 400 pounds or 800 pounds. Or anyway, exaggerating a little bit. But he would, he would just come in here like, boom! Anyway, we got rid of him. I won't tell that story. You're too young, you're too young to hear this. We used uh, muscle power. And he got the message. So he didn't bother us. We actually got him transferred to another airport. But my point was, <laughs> I think he wanted to go. We had a few guys with big muscles, you know, that talked to him and said, I don't think you should really do what you're doing because, you know, if you like the way your face looks now, it's not going to look like <laughs> Something like that. You always have a few party Christmas that you know, have that spirit. So, so um, and then we would come back in the evening, and the program was Sunday Arti. Sunday, the Chumshin. Not Sundar Arti, Sunday Arti. So we'd come back, and, and like the whole day was kind of like, you just, like, like the women, they would often just have breakdowns and just cry. It was so hard. You know? So you're talking to someone, and they don't buy the book, it's a cult. And the person just gives you the book back. And we'd come back and go to Arctic, and you know what we do with Arctic? We would dance in ecstasy. It's like, how could you dance in ecstasy after a day like that? You just want to like go in your room and cry to tranquilize her. You know, it's like so difficult. But that's my point. You did this austerity, it was so difficult. And because you did that austerity to please Krishna, you come back and you experience this like amazing, amazing reciprocation from Krishna for doing that. Even though what you're doing was horrible externally, like just suffering. Isn't that interesting? So that's why if you ever are in a situation where it's difficult, embrace it. Just do it so you can get this experience. I did something that was difficult for Krishna. 
I think some of you may have this experience that you have to give a class. You know, they say people would rather like die, you know, just commit suicide. That would be easier than giving a class, right? Get my tooth pulled, uh, I'd rather do that. I think it's actually suicide. The, the biggest fear people have is public speaking. And some people would actually, not that they're going to do it, but that's what they say, I'd rather die than do that. And so Krishna may ask you to do that. And, and now you remember this lecture, Mahamaprabhu said, hard. The harder it is, the more horrible it is, the more difficult it is, the more I should just enthusiastically embrace it. So I can get this experience of the highest ecstasy like I've never gotten before by engaging in some service solely with the meditation. I'm just doing this for Krishna's pleasure. Doesn't matter if it's difficult, if I'm nervous or not. I'll just forget all that and I'll just think Krishna wants me to do it, Prabhupada wants me to do it, and I'll do it. And then you get to experience something really special. So I hope you remember that. Is that okay? Are you ready? Um, we have service for all of you now. This is a, a plan. Everything, yeah. So you're going to start a jump ball next week. <laughs> anyway, no, I'm only kidding. But um, Naveen's already thinking, like, okay, this is good. So we can start you know, making our plans now. So, Another thing that I don't know if you know that's interesting, what time should I stop? Because I don't know what an hour is. Does an hour mean we should stop at 8.15 or 8? Or Because the program is supposed to end at 9. We need questions. I'll just tell one more thing, and then we can take questions. That's good. So there, there's several stories that indicated That Prabhupada said, service is actually not for Krishna, it's for us. Like we, obviously Krishna doesn't need the service. We need the service. Did you know that? So one time, uh, Prabhupada mentioned, he said, in India, we have many temples, big projects. I think Prabhupada said, big, grotesque projects. Like, you know, just stones, building, and headaches, and money and collecting, dealing with construction people trying to cheat you, it's just like one big headache after another. The prophet said, we have so many big men that need to be engaged, so we have these big grotesque projects just to keep them busy, because we need to be busy, because we can't just sit and chant all day. So, another time, Prabhupada was in Los Angeles, and I was there at that time. At that time, Los Angeles was the head of the BBT. It was the, um, the head of, so the art department was there, they laid out all the books there, they had the warehouse where all the books that were then shipped. Uh, they had a business, a spiritual sky business. They had a big Sankirtan party. They had, oh, Golden Avatar Studios, all Prabhupada's lectures were recorded and the music studio. So what Prabhupada did was he went to every department. One day he visited every department, the art department, the layout department, the spiritual sky incense, the book uh, warehouse, the Golden Avatar Studios. And every place he would go, he would say, I could see the artist, he'd say, just paint for Krishna. That would be a perfection. Then you go to Golden Avatar Studios. Just sing for Krishna. Then you go to the warehouse. Just distribute books for Krishna. Then you go to the where they're laying out the books. Just lay out books for Krishna. Then you go to the incense. Just make money for Krishna. Each place he would say, just in other words, and then he's saying, it doesn't really matter so much what you do, but it just matters that you're engaged. Because if we're not engaged in Krishna's service, where are we going to be engaged in? Somebody's service, right? So, you like to do something. Okay, so now you get to do it for Krishna. You like to write poetry, right? Milanra likes to write poetry. So, so got a lot of leelas to write poetry about, a lot of philosophy to write poetry about, right? Okay. 
write poetry. Like, does Krishna need his poetry? But he can please Krishna with his poetry. Krishna will be fine without his poetry. Krishna will survive without Milan's poetry. But Milan will not survive without writing the poetry, right? Isn't it? Krishna will survive without me singing bhajans, but I will not survive without singing bhajans. That's the idea. Does that make sense? So, we want to do these things for Krishna's pleasure, but we also want to understand that service is for our benefit. Right? Now, there's another thing that's really important that I have to say. That we, we sometimes, in the early days of ISKCON, we minimized our other spiritual practices by maximizing our service and then we would think, if my service is successful and done well, it's like my sadhana doesn't matter because I've like I've got five, you know, gold stars for that. Mm. And it's not like that because it's the sadhana that purifies us, so we can do the service pure, purely. So we can't, you can't. I'm going to succeed in my service and no sadhana. It doesn't. You know, I don't have to chant. That was a big problem. We would we would evaluate our level of spiritual advancement by the quantity or the quantity of service. And a lot of devotees had difficulty because of that. They didn't cultivate their heart, their, the purity of the heart, like we're talking right around here. So you want to be careful. Sadhana is important and you don't want you don't want to compromise sadhana in the name of service. Or you don't want to think, well I'm doing really good in spiritual life because I'm doing a lot of service. I'm not saying that doesn't indicate you're not doing well, but it could. It could be that you're not doing well, even though you're doing service well, but in other areas you neglect. So you don't want to use service as an excuse for like, okay, it's the panacea for everything. So that's what I wanted to say tonight. And I, I think now we have time for questions. Is that okay? Yeah. So anyone wants to ask a question, please, yes. many uh, devotees uh, and probably myself also at certain points they they get uh, burnt out or fried by service uh, and toasted to the mouth <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they're often resentful give up the service abruptly that kind of thing I've seen it happen many times uh, would you be able to maybe um, explain what you think uh, they're doing wrong what we be doing wrong and what uh, sustainable service looks like hmm. Toasted, fried, and burnt to the max. <laughs> Threefold program. <laughs> you know, it, it could be different for different people because you and I could do the same thing and I could be burned out and you'd be like on fire. You know, it's like if you ask me to manage for more than three minutes, I'll be burnt, toasted, and fried to the max in three minutes. And you might be after take you, you know, you just keep getting more energy. So one thing is to be engaged in something that's not in line with our nature. Because if something's in line with your nature, it's pretty hard to get burned out. Something's not in line with your nature, it's pretty easy to get burned out. But also, um, human beings have the capacity you know, for work. You know, we also need time to chant and read and just be like human. So if you do so much service that you start compromising relationships, compromising your health, your sleep, and so on, and other important things, that's part of burning out, right? It's, it's, you're neglecting part of your life, so you're getting out of balance. I think part of that also can be stimulated by what I said, I think, like service is everything. There's another problem, this is a bit psychological, sometimes we try to prove ourselves to ourselves that like, I'm, I'm, I'm the man or I'm the woman, so I'm going to achieve something in service so I can prove to myself, or worse, prove to the world that you should value me because look what I did. And we might burn ourselves out just to get that applause or recognition, which um, Krishna will appreciate any effort and if it's done sincerely. Um, it also requires guidance of devotees who are engaging us to be aware that we might be... Um, maybe burnout's always coming from you're neglecting some important aspect of your life. 
And when it's neglected for a long period of time, then you feel that part that you need is missing. So sometimes we get enthusiastic and inspired. Janmashtami, Gorpuni, you know, but that's, that's temporary. You know, so you're not really going to burn out and you'll have time to recuperate. Do you know that when we did Ratyatra in the old days, I think we started two weeks before to build a cart from scratch and get everything together. And we had this weird thing going on. Like, we're going to, you know, like, this was like two weeks to do everything, which is like it takes a month or six weeks or two months. And we all like slept four hours a night for, I know, I think it was about, I think we only gave ourselves a week. It's like crazy. And here was the tradition. This was a tradition. You sleep four hours a night for a week. And every single devotee on the morning after Pratyatra, the tradition was all the, everybody's sick. I'm, I'm serious, it was like a, like a ritual, like we all get sick. Like, somehow or other we could make it through Sunday night, and then Monday morning is like, you know. So, and the temple president decided for that whole week he's not going to sleep. And on the third day I saw him with his head on the desk, you know, out cold. You know. so, <clears throat> So burnout may also come from the fact that we're trying to be like Prabhupada and do the austerities that he was doing, and you realize you can't. Like you know, you're running too, too far, and you, you can't do it. You you, you overestimate your potency. But it it it, that it I think it's more it's more common. It comes from a lack of self care. You're allowing yourself to. You know, you have to have self compassion. Take care of yourself. I mean, there could be other reasons, but it could be the culture. You know, everybody's, you know, sleeping four hours, and so you're caught up in the mood. But maybe they can do it, and you can. Yeah, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. Everybody, that was that was part of the program, and, and we all knew we were going to be sick. It was just accepted. Yeah, we're going. Yeah, yeah, let's get this done because we're all going to be sick Monday morning. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Like, we were really crazy in those days. Maybe I should write a book, 108 Crazy Stories from the 70s. <laughs> I don't think 108 would be enough. Thank you for that question. Anything else? Yes? Uh, so, like, uh, the mood of service should be to do it just for Krishna. Um, but for me, at least, I find it hard to do I, even that, though I know that's the mood, um, because I don't know Krishna well, I'm like just to have a personal relationship, and so to focus on Krishna solely without having a relationship with Krishna, um, how do you like fix that? How do you fix how, it? How do you deal with it? How do you make sure that your mood is this is just for Krishna? Yeah. Even when you're like. Well, you know his position, your position. He's God, and you're a servant. So that's it. Okay, it's theoretical relationship, but he's also in your heart. He's also in his name, so when you chant, there's a relationship. I think you could resolve this by meditating more on that. But what Prabhupada said was, he said, you want to see Krishna, everybody wants to see Krishna, he said, but your eyes can't see him. You can hear him, because you can hear about him and what he is. So he said, seeing is inferior. So it's kind of like, okay, don't worry about seeing him, and you can see him in the deity, and you can have a relationship with the deity. You can have a relationship with the holy name, that's him. You can have a relationship with the Bhagavatam, that's him. And we do have a relationship with Super Soul because all the intelligence you're, you're getting is coming from him. So let me share this realization I had. It's like, I don't know why it took 50 years to have this, it's so obvious. But a lot of times, we all have this experience, we get some realization or some idea or something, and like, wow. That's a good idea. Wow, that's pretty deep. Who gave it to us? Super soul gave it to us. Have you ever thought that? Wow, he knows what I need and he just gave that to me. That's a relationship. But we don't think like that. Isn't it? So the other day I was thinking, Krishna, you've given me so many realizations and every time you give them, 
I never put that in regards to a relationship, that you're like aware of me and you know what I'm trying to understand and you give it to me. And once I did that, it's like, wow, this is bringing the relationship closer and closer because he keeps giving it to me. Right? Then um, when I chant, although I may not realize fully Krishna's in his name, I just tell myself, Krishna's here, Hare Krishna. He's just, I just allow myself to go there, you know, just Krishna's here, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, he's in his name, you know, it's just, it's not in here at all. It's like, it's just a reality. I, I, I go into that reality even if I don't fully experience it, but I start to experience it the more that I just allow myself to go in the mind. Krishna's here, he's right here now. Hare Krishna, he's in his name, Krishna, I'm right there, I can talk to him, he's there. So sometimes we have to do these things theoretically. Um, Krishna's in the deity. Okay, that's what the Shastra says, that's what Prabhupada says. So I'm trying to see the deity as Krishna. You know, trying to just do it, even though maybe don't totally understand it. So my experience is, if you take all these aspects of Krishna, how he appears, as the deity, as the holy name, as the book, the spiritual master, the sangha, and you just act as if that's Krishna, you begin to experience it, because it is. And sometimes the only way to experience it is just to act like, okay, Krishna's there, you bow down to the deity, right? I have to do that, because that's Krishna, even though I don't see him exactly. But I have to treat him like he's there. And that's how I will realize it. So I have a story. A beautiful story. We had a temple. And we wanted to buy the temple. And the person who was selling the temple knew we wanted to buy it. So he raised the price ten times. We thought, this was like 40 years ago. We thought, um, this was in Mauritius. We thought it was going to be like 100,000. He asked for a million. It's like in those days, it's like... You know, that was meant to Yeah, like 83. A million dollars in 83 on this little island in the poorest, third poorest country in the world. It was like crazy. So we thought, if we're going to spend a million dollars, we could buy, like, land and build our own temple. So that's what we did. The deities were installed in that building, so we had a nice temple room, kitchen, everything. And... <coughs> We purchased land, but we didn't have anything there. And so all we could do while we're building the temple on the new land was rent a house. And it wasn't sufficient to worship the deities. So we had to give the deities to another temple. It was a farm. And they took care of the deities. And we thought, maybe we'll build a temple in a year or two or whatever. So we didn't get it ready until... 1992, so we're looking like about eight years the deities were gone. So, so then we're getting everything ready and then we called them and said, well, we want to bring the deities back, back for Janmasmi. Maybe we called them in like May. And they said, these are our deities. And I said, no, they're not. They're our deities. And they said, well, we've had them for eight years. Do you think like we're going to give them to you? This is like these are, you imagine like, you know, I come and say, the man who gave me Father London Mishra comes and says, well, I'm taking them back. These are my deities. <laughs> what? So this kind of tug of war went on between the temple that gave the deities that is asking back and the temple that has had the deities who, you know, it's like, it's kind of like you adopt, you imagine you adopt a kid for eight years and then the parents come and you've had the kid since they're a little baby. Because the deities were installed in 1983, and so I think in 84-85 they went. So we didn't really have them that long in the, in the temple. And so they went. So this other temple was the main temple that had them for like eight years. And I was a temple president of the temple that was calling them back. And I was a temple president years before, eight years before when they were installed. So for me, those are my deities, they're going here. No, they're not. Yes, they are. So that was one of the highlights 
in my life of Krishna consciousness because there were a lot of people very attached to these deities, like like intensely emotionally attached to to marble statues. Those are not marble statues. They're, these people, these devotees had a relationship with those deities. It was emotional. There was a connection, and that all comes from service. So you have to go into it like they're, like this is Krishna I'm worshiping you, and then it becomes revealed. And if you go into it like, well, how is that Krishna? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it. You'll stay there forever, doubting. You know? Does that make sense? You know? So, and, and, you know, I mean, another way, which I could have just answered the question in 30 seconds, he's God, so you, know, you have a relationship with God. So that solves that. And, and the relationship is based on love, so you want to love him. Love means do what he wants. Hare Krishna, thank you. Anything else? This is an equal opportunity movement, so it's time for the ladies. various services and then you know we feel connected to some more than others and we get that sort of taste a little bit of that taste and then you may not get that taste again in like another service you do because you you know you shift from service to service for whatever reason like circumstance or you know just time shifting and stuff so how do you get that taste back how do you get the taste for a service you don't like yeah kind of like that as well and how do you get a taste back for the service you like after you haven't done it for a while? Yeah. Coming back? Yeah, so, so like you, you get... Example? You yeah, some, example. Yeah, so like um, you get some taste from the service you've done and then you know you may have to like do some other service which is fine and you don't get that same taste. From the other service? Yeah. So. Yeah, oh yeah, okay. I hope this isn't controversial. Now I got your attention. <laughs> My observation and experience, both, is that having a service that inspires you is essentially important. Now, if you're living in the temple as a brahmachari or brahmacharini, then your duty is to do what you're asked. But the duty of a good leader is to find out what inspires you and engage you. At the same time, you know, being a menial servant is what it means to be a brahmachari, brahmachari. You're willing to do anything. But as a devotee matures, it becomes more obvious what their inclinations are and, and what inspires them. So they tend to gravitate towards that. And the greatest inspiration you will ever get in your life is not going to come from anybody but you by you connecting with something that inspires you. That's what will give you energy. Like, I can give you inspirational, let's get fired up for Krishna, because we're, this Prabhupada wants us to save the world, and we got to get out there and distribute his books, and you're like, woohoo, I'm running out tomorrow, I'm going out tonight, knocking on doors, you're fired up, and three days later, back to your same old self. But if you connect with a service that connects with your nature, you'll always be enthusiastic. Because you have to do that. Just like we have Draupadi, formerly Devina. She loves to do dramas. She can do dramas for lifetimes, right? Yeah? You go to bed dreaming about dramas, wake up dreaming about dramas. Something like that. So, you don't have to inspire her to do dramas. She's inspired. That's so important. Because when we connect with a service that inspires us, we will stay inspired. We won't need anybody to inspire us. Here's my experience. This is how you rate a good class. If it's an average class, you're inspired basically after class till maybe after breakfast, then you like forget everything. If it's a really like good class, it lasts like three days. If it's like an amazing class, you might get 10 days out of it. If you go to a workshop, you might get three weeks out of it. Like a basketball with a hole in it. 
pumping up, pumping up, pumping up. It's not that you're not learning and getting purified, but in terms of maintaining a high level of enthusiasm, it's really difficult to maintain it unless what you learn in the class becomes inherent within you. It's something that you relate to so much you're generating it, right? So we have to generate our own enthusiasm. That's where the greatest enthusiasm is going to come from. We're going to get it from other devotees, that's for sure, but it would be better if the other devotees are just, are just giving us more momentum, not give, going from zero to 60 kilometers an hour, but taking us maybe to 150 kilometers from 100. Does that make sense? So, circumstantially, sometimes we just have to do whatever. But as you mature in devotional service and you become clear about what inspires you, gravitate towards that and get really good at it and use it. And, and so, if you look at any senior devotee, that's what they do. Even though they have a service, they'll do a particular service in a way that inspires them within that service. Even Maybe it's not the exact service they want, but they'll end up doing it a certain <coughs> way according to their nature. Like, you know, maybe you're asked to manage, but most of your management will just be done by inspiring people, because that's what you do, and you'll get other devotees who can actually practically roll up their sleeves and do it, because it's not your nature. Whereas if you're a manager, you'll roll up your sleeves. That's what you like to do. That's what inspires you. Any objections to that or clarifications? Or, this is just based on experience. And, and okay, um, one second. And so I'll tell you my story. Um, I, I can manage, but it doesn't interest me that much. I can conceptually, I'm, I'm more of a conceptual person. I can talk about management, I can talk about strategy. Putting into practice is not that interesting for me. I'd rather other people do it. And so I was four times temple president. Didn't last more than two years. Every managerial service I've ever had, at the two-year mark, I retired. I quit because I can't do this. And Every service I had in education has, uh, has not stopped. I've been doing education for 20 years steadily. And I knew when I was doing the management, if I just did the education, it wouldn't stop. That's my nature. And, and recently, um, I mean, it's always part of my nature, but recently I wrote a song, uh, and I decided I would write one song for every verse of Shashastrika. And I did one last night. And, and, like, you know, I have the capacity I can do that. And it's so much part of my nature that even if I have no time to do it, I do it anyway. Like, I'll write the song. I've written so many songs. Like, why am I writing a song? I don't even have time to do it. It's just, that's, it's just, it's natural for me. So I don't think you can deny that, you know, what your nature is. And you can use it in Christian service and with establishment. You like that answer? And, that, and if you're not inspired by something, you're not inspired by it. And I can try to inspire you. It's like, you don't like apples. I'm going to preach the glories of apples to your red in the face. So you look like an apple. <laughs> apples are good for you. And they're juicy and they're red. They've got pectin. They've got these vitamins. Even the seeds are good. Eat the seeds. Eat the whole apple. It's good. And I'm like, I don't eat apples. The more you talk about apples, the more nauseous I'm getting. <laughs> I mean, I have a daughter, so I have the experience of talking to her about, trying to inspire her about something. Uh, that doesn't inspire me at all. Can you stop talking about that? <laughs> so, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So... So it's natural that you won't be inspired to do everything, that's okay. But in circumstances, sometimes you have to. That's nice. Surrender. You know? Like I said, give the class. Have that experience. Maybe doing that every day you know, would really be difficult. But having that experience once in a while, well, I did it. Fantastic. Ananda wants to ask a question. 
wanted to ask a question. Maybe I'm not so much youth anymore. <laughs> but I think for some of you, it will be relevant soon enough. Um, okay. In terms of lead, lead, for leaders, you mentioned that the duty of a good leader is to find your nature and to mm -hmm. give service to, according to the nature. Um, Well, it's a liability when you have a big project, because um, in a perfect world, I would only I, in a perfect world I would have a group of devotees and say, "What do you want to do?" And once we figure out what everybody wants to do, that's what we do. And then I know everyone's inspired. I've seen a lot of projects where the opposite, where basically nobody wants to do, because they're left over from from days when we had 200, 300 devotees, and now we have 30. And so when you have 300, you're always going to have people who like to do everything. So, um, in, so that's one strategy. You don't, you don't create projects that are so big that you're going to have to make people do what they don't, because they'll not stay if you want to. The other thing is to try to, get, to, try to make the why, why the project is important more clear, because sometimes Someone could be inspired, but they need the overall vision of the project. And they're like, I'm, that's so inspiring, I'll do anything to see this manifest. You know, like, we want to start an eco-village, we have this plan, we have a sponsor, we have this and that. I'm out there planting vegetables, I'm so excited. So that's also possible. You know the story, the bricklayers building the cathedral. You know the story? You're asking a bricklayer, what are you doing? It's, uh, it's monotonous work every day. It's so boring, laying brick. And the other one said, what are you doing? Oh, we're building this amazing cathedral. It's going to look like this, and millions of people will come, and they'll have a spiritual experience. And he's completely inspired by it. And he's doing the exact same thing the other guys. But the other guy doesn't have the vision. So sometimes I've seen, if you have a vision that's inspiring, like to anybody would be inspired by it. It's easier to get people on board to do things that maybe they normally wouldn't be inspired to do, but the vision itself is inspiring. But I would be careful about projects where you run into this problem. There can be a lot of, there's going to be a need for, for services that we may not find people to do. Anyway. Make a lot of pizza, though. That's another tactic. Do this and get pizza. <laughs> but Prabhupada, you know, sometimes he said, find out what people like to do and engage them, because they'll just work hard if they like to do it. I think any devotee is willing for a short period of time to do anything, but if it's, it's like your permanent service and you don't like it, it can get quite depressing. You can lose a lot of enthusiasm. It's just it's because it's not your nature. And everybody's nature is different. Like some people love numbers. They love, you know, numbers and Excel sheets. It's like inspires them. You know? And for me, like, why would you be inspired by that? It's like nauseating. You know, it makes me sick. I get dizzy looking at all these numbers. You know? And someone else says, no, see, I love it. I do it every day. Okay. Whatever floats your boat, you know. But, so we're all obviously different. And someone's like into details, minutia, you know, it's like every detail. It's like they can't exist normally unless every detail is covered. And other people are like, details are just bog their brain. So, you know, give someone who's like a super artistic, creative person a job as like an accountant and he'll commit suicide, you know, isn't it? Or vice versa. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. Any, anything else? Anything more? Anything less?
to the last chance. Sorry, yes. I just wanted to know what happened to the deities at the temple. Oh. Oh. Next year when I come. <laughs> it was such an emotional experience for me to be right in the middle of this fight. There was so much attachment to these deities on both sides. And I was watching it, and I was like, like just in tears, seeing the devotion. Ultimately, they couldn't refuse because they were our deities, and they were making excuses that your temple's not ready, your altar's not ready, your kitchen's not ready. So I said, well, come over and look. And they came over and saw it was ready, and they said, okay, you know, we can't keep them. So it was like, could you imagine eight years in one temple, and the Bajaris are coming in the van with the deities, and they're like, ah, it's like Krishna weeping for so intense, and then we see the deities, they're all lamenting, and we're jumping for joy. The deities are, the deities are installed, and they're like, Our deities left us, and they're in this temple. It was like amazing, you know. If you ever, you know, had doubts about the deity, Krishna being in the deity, well, this this would have put those doubts to rest completely. It was just amazing to watch. And they lived happily ever after. And um, we never actually built a proper temple, we just had a building, but now they're building a proper temple so many years later, it just took time. But the cool thing is, this is interesting, and this has happened in many temples. So there's this agricultural piece of land that's kind of not really near anything, and we bought that land. We bought like five acres or whatever hectares it is. So it's basically like 600 meters long, 100 meters wide, or something like that. Kind of just like, you know, it was like a few miles from the closest town and like 10 miles from the main city. So the first like Walmart type store on that island is a French island, a French company. They build their place across the street from where we built the temple. The Ministry of Education builds their headquarters across the street, the other side. They start turning agricultural land into residential land, residential land, uh, residential houses. The temple is in the busiest intersection on the island right now. It's like in the middle of just a field. But Krishna's amazing, right? It's crazy, you know, what he does, so. Happy ending. Like, everyone in that country will drive, like, a third of that country will drive by that temple every day. Okay. Anyway, you've been there, right? You yeah. Saw, yeah, it was like, it's super busy. It wasn't like that in the country. And it was all just sugar cane everywhere. And, like, next to the temple, there's, like, a there's big high-rise, apartment they built, probably like one of the biggest on the island, and this, that, and the next. Right. Krishna's amazing. Okay, we have Kirtan at the point. We have a Madanga point, or we have like 14 Madanga points. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you don't have to ask. Have a youth program. If you have a Madanga point. Yeah, it's